What's going on? It's your boy Mike Maul. This is the Maul It Over podcast. Check it out. Hey, y'all. Today, today, today. I know that I say that every time. That's like the whole thing how I started off. I say today, today, today three times. That's like to build y'all's anticipation. But anyway, today is really special. Today we got DeAndra Maul. Wait. Let me put some respect on her name. Respect is Dr. Deandra Maul. Dr. D, say what's up to the people. Hello, everybody. All right, so today we got Dr. D on the show. We about to talk a little bit, uh, you know, dive into what she does. I'm going to let her introduce herself, talk a little bit about herself, and then we're going to maul it over. Go ahead, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, all that stuff. So, Dr. Deandra Maul, I am from Akron, Ohio, currently serve as Vice President for Student Life at the University of Florida, where I oversee 25 plus departments and an operational budget of 110 million plus. Um, I'm responsible for making sure that students out of classroom experiences gives them more than an education. Um, sometimes folks believe students come to school for an education. We believe that students come to school for an educational experience, meaning when they leave, they leave with more than just their degree. They leave with the skills and the tools and the skill set to be able to be successful and thrive beyond college. Oh, okay. So you said vice president of student life. That is correct. Okay. So what does your job actually entail? So on a day-to-day -day basis, we are responsible in student life for everything outside the classroom. So we make sure that students have a place to stay. We make sure they have access to counseling services. We are recreational sports. We're multicultural affairs. Um, we manage the Dean of Students Office. So everything you can think about when you're attending college or when you're thinking about your students attending college, beyond what happens in the classroom, students spend their time with student life. So you think about their 168 hours in a week. When a student goes to, goes to college, they spend anywhere from 15 to 18 hours on average taking classes. Beyond that, they do things within student life. So those student organizations that they take part in, student life. Um, the union where they spend their time with their friends and studying, that's a part of student life. So those things that happen outside the classroom, that's what we do is we make sure they have an experience, again, that stretches beyond and really does allow them to explore um, open up and engage with the campus community as they figure out who they are and who they're going to become in the world. Oh, sweet. So, Vice President, now, where did you uh, graduate with your bachelor's from? So, I graduated from Kent State University in Kent, Ohio. Very proud Golden Flash um, back in the early 2000s. And from there, went on to Michigan State University where I got my master's degree. And then I got my PhD from the Ohio State University. Again, that's the Ohio State the University. Ohio State for University. any of you haters. <laughs> so anyway, so what like, okay, so you went to school, uh, you went to Ellet, of course. So like, what was your motivating factors to pursue your life journeys? So when I went to college, um, I originally, by the time I was uh, into my freshman year, I had really decided that I was going to be a lawyer. Uh, me and one of my best friends, attorney Candy Robinson, we talked about it a lot during undergrad. Um, I thought that was going to be my journey. Um, 
then decided, I actually shouted an attorney during my senior year of college, met with my mentor, who was the vice president for student affairs and enrollment management at Kent State, and said to her, I no longer want to go to law school. And so was asking her for feedback on, you know, basically as a young woman trying to find my way, what that meant. Um, I'm the first member of my family to graduate from college. And so certainly didn't have a lot of the roadmaps or the uh, cultural wealth that other communities may have. And so was really trying to find my way with the help of mentors, had a super supportive family. Like my family to this day rides for me. They make sure that I know they're, they're um, proud of me. But because we hadn't gone to college in generations before me or had completed college, was trying to figure it out. So she said to me, who do you want to support? How do you want to spend your life? So essentially, what did I want to do? And I said, I wanted to advocate for people. I wanted to have a seat at the table and be able to represent communities that traditionally may not have access. And so she asked me at that point, have you thought about student affairs? I'd never heard of student affairs. You don't get an undergraduate degree in student affairs. You have to get your master's in it. And essentially, um, college student personnel, higher education student affairs prepares us to be able to help college students, again, be their best selves, make sure they understand the systems of support that really do undergird their success. And essentially, um, is university administration. So you think about everything from the president to the provost to the vice presidents and onward, they're all charged to make sure that the university functions appropriately and that students can succeed. So I thought about what I'd done as an undergrad. Um, I was really heavily involved in undergrad. I was president of my sorority, um, student body president. So I had really gotten an opportunity to be involved with a lot of different uh, campus communities. And so had thought about what I'd been doing, didn't realize you get paid for a career in student affairs. So once I figured out I could actually get paid for to do something I love and work with college students um, for my life's work, I was definitely sold. So you would say that uh, being able to engage with people and help college students, as you stated, well, is that what motivates you? Absolutely. All day long. Um, I will say, you know, I, I'm very fortunate for the mirrors that I've had in my life that have allowed me to figure out who I was as a, as a young black woman navigating uh, time and space. And so certainly being able to stand in that space, figure out how we create systems that allow other students to also find their way and give them the proper support has been certainly critical. Also making sure that when I have a seat at the table, I, I represent and advocate for those who, again, don't have a seat in the room. So making sure that for me, I could really find time being those things that either I needed or those things I had when I was in college. Okay. Now let's get to it. Let's, man, I like this. I like this. So let me ask, you've been through a lot in your college journey. You've uh, done a lot. You have a lot of accomplishments. You're in the 40 under 40 uh, magazine twice. Um, I guess what I'm saying, what I'm going to say is, was there ever a time before you, you know, got to your, the plateau you're at now where you said or really considered quitting? Oh, absolutely. So um, I went directly through school. So I went from my undergrad to my master's and my Ph.D. and kept going through. Now, luckily, I had the opportunity to work full time during my master's due to some various things that happened on campus and people give me opportunities but a lot of people did not think that I would be employable if I went straight through. And so I always tell people, your journey is your journey. No one else can decide your steps. You have to be strategic about what you do along the way. But you can create your own footing and your own uh, journey if, again, you have the right tools, you have the right support systems to really be successful. 
um, when, when you finish. But I will also say, again, I mentioned earlier, I'm the first one in my family to have graduated college. And so a lot of what I was doing, I was finding it out and making it up essentially as I was going. I remember my sophomore, so no, second year of my PhD program, I always tell people that I divorced my uh, dissertation, which is the, the heart of your PhD process. So when you're um, earning your PhD, you have to write a dissertation. And so my dissertation ended up being 259 pages of me writing uh, my research about what it means to be resilient. And I ain't writing 259 pages. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> Not every dissertation is that long, but because mine uh, was a qualitative study, I got to spend time with a lot of college students having them tell me their story of why they felt that they were successful when so many of their peers had not finished college. That was essentially the, the crux of my research. I wanted to know why, while there are so many students for whom they do not reach the end of the college journey, how these students made it. Um, and so that's what it was about. But I remember getting through writing my, my uh, chapters one, two, and three for my dissertation, and I was just tired. I was burned out. I'd been in school at that point since the time I was four years old, um, at that point, I think I was 26 years old and I was tired. So for about a month, I set my PhD down and I did not touch my dissertation. I tell, I like to say, you know, it was the first time that I considered divorcing anything in my life. Um, I didn't know if it was going to be, be for me. I didn't know if we were going to make it to the finish line. I did not sleep in the same room with that dissertation. Um, I had my office. I closed the office door. I did not look in there. When I tell you I was mad at the dissertation and I was trying to figure out if it's something I really wanted and I wanted to work for it. I certainly did. And I think what got me through is number one, knowing that, you know, I think about my, my siblings and my nieces and nephews and my friends and my village, God knows um, I have the most amazing village and all those folks who certainly I knew were cheering me on. And just the fact that I wanted to accomplish something that um, I could be proud of. And it was a goal of mine for a long time. So I remember opening the door literally um, to my office and go ahead and finishing the journey. But I will tell you, at one point, I was just like, okay, why am I doing this? I have a master's degree. You know, I worked hard for that, and it, it could be enough, but I knew I really did want to earn my doctorate. And so certainly opening the door has opened the door, literally and figuratively. So your motiv your motivations and everything kept you going, even when um, the journey looked tumultuous at times. Absolutely. Resiliency is really critical when you undertake any journey, whether it's academic or non-academic, knowing that while the, I always think about using the Waze app, you know, you have a destination that you're trying to get to. Sometimes the path turns. Sometimes there are, there are twists and turns. You're, you're redirected. You have to sit still and sit in traffic for a while. Um, my dissertation was no different way, but I also knew that I had a destination to which I was going and certainly wanted to continue along the path. Although, again, I took a pit stop. Uh, certainly had to refuel and make sure I was still in it for the right reasons and, and wanted to do it. But yeah, the motivation, not just for me, but for so many people who I knew were championing me and certainly had my back through and through was, was certainly the motivation I needed. I will also say um, I was moving through the program pretty quickly. Um, I graduated more quickly in less than three years. And that was the first time I had been done in Ohio State's history that I'm aware of. And so I was moving really quick because I was tired of school. And so I had put undue pressure on myself um, unreasonable pressure, I will say now looking back. Um, and again, I say everybody's journey is their own, but I had set these goals that were realistic, but it also meant stressful um, and extra levels of, of stress that I did not need to have. But being overly ambitious, that's what I did. I would not recommend that. You know, pace yourself. Again, your race is your race. And sometimes we, we go too fast on one of the splits and ultimately it, it, it burns you out for the next leg. So 
making sure you pace yourself along a journey. Okay, so stay motivated. When uh, you might be feeling like quitting, you know, if you listen to the mall it over quotes, you always see I'm telling you about a situation or where somebody wants to give up or quit, but you have to stay the course. It is worth the wait. Uh, I guess, let me ask this. Is it ideal? Is it ideal for blacks to expect to achieve a status in which you have achieved being that you kind of opened doors for yourself and you were blessed to have contact with with uh, whoever sets you on a course and a trajectory to where you're headed. Is it something that like you actually could expect to do coming out of a uh, high school or out of, out of your uh, bachelor's degree? Because it seems as though, and I I don't have the statistical backing to say everything that I'm about to say, but I do have the thought and the wherewithal within myself to say it. It seems as though everybody would not get the same opportunities. Like you said, everybody's journey is different. So everybody would not get the same opportunities. How would you tell somebody who's trying to achieve or follow in your footsteps that they can do, especially being African-American? I would say, uh, first of all, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps because someone else gave me boots. And so that's the part that's really important to know. I did not, <laughs> yeah, I did not do it alone by any means. I, I mentioned before my friends, I mentioned the motivation for my family. I, I will also mention that I had full scholarships from undergrad, graduate, and my PhD program and fellowships. I was funded. I had the resources. Again, I worked hard to prepare, prepare, uh, prepare myself academically to gain them, but people saw something in me and they, made sure that I had the resources to be successful. That's the only thing that separates me from other people is an opportunity. And ultimately, um, again, the opportunities that folks put before me, I think about my mentors. I think about Dr. Javon Adams Gaston, uh, president of Norfolk State University, um, who was my vice president for 10 years at Ohio State. I think about Rich Hollingsworth, rest in peace, who gave me my first job at Ohio State and said to me very uh, directly, I'm going to make sure you're a generalist because I want you to one day take my seat as a vice president. Um, I think about my, my, my friends. Well, I always say that people think that peer pressure is the worst thing ever. My friends were the best peer pressure I ever had in life. I think about good peer pressure. The good man, peer pressure. I had, and my friends, my friends rose together. I think about, you know, Candy Robinson. And I think about uh, attorney Candy Robinson. I think about attorney Letitia Bryant. I think about Dr. Alicia Johnson. I think about, um, Maya Wilford with her MBA, like all of my friends have been on this trajectory where we held each other accountable, whether it was in high school and onward, and we all celebrate each other. To this day, we still do that. Okay, That's okay, important. hold that, hold that. Let me say this. So would you say, I read in a book not that long ago, I read, uh, I read Charlemagne, actually I read Charlemagne's book, uh, I cannot think of the title of his book. But I just read his latest book, and then I read Will Smith's book, Will, and they said, they both said some of the same thing. We're talking about peer pressure. We're talking mm -hmm. about positive peer pressure versus negative peer pressure. In the book, they said, they both said this quote, so I don't know if they shopping it around in Hollywood or what, or life, because this was like the first time I had really, really heard it and really understood it. They said, you only will be as successful as your five core friends. Do you find any truth to that statement? 100%. If I look at my core friends, that is without a doubt true in my own personal life. 
Um, certainly recognizing that iron sharp, sharpens iron. Um, I've always had ironclad women around me and I have always been blessed um, to always come into contact with folks who, who really wanted to make sure that we were uplifting each other along our journey. So I 100% I, I agree with the fact that what they're essentially saying is that iron sharpens iron and I, I completely support that. Oh, that's awesome. Now, as being a black woman, are there any barriers in which you had to cross and how detrimental to you were they? Always. I think um, the main thing is I, I tend to be what I guess some would say intimidating. I, I don't believe it. I also, if you know me, I'm the goofiest adult that you will ever meet. I like to have a good time. I like to laugh. But for some people, just by virtue of the fact that every day I am a black woman, that in itself can, can be a, an intimidating factor to them. Some of the barriers that I've um, had to deal with always being a young black woman navigating spaces now you know, more of my adult life, things have shifted a bit in that regard. But I know that whenever I walk in the room, I'm going to be ready to outwork anybody there because I know I have to. Regardless of what anyone thinks, they may think that things are equal. We all know that they are not. Um, I always know I when I walk into a space, I'm going to have to work hard. I know I'm going to put in the extra work. I'll be the first one to get there and I'll be the last one to leave. I'm OK doing that because it, it certainly has benefited me. Um, ageism has been something I've seen also as, as a black woman navigating spaces. Um, I've always been younger than the other uh, staff members or senior members in the space. Certainly the youngest member of the presidential, president's cabinet here at the University of Florida was the youngest member um, of the vice president's cabinet at Ohio State. And so always having to make sure that I knew my stuff. And again, the other barriers I had to eliminate with some of them were my own. The fact that because I, I knew that there was some imposter syndrome, meaning that there were times where I felt like I didn't belong in the room. So I showed up in ways that actually fed into that meaning. I would always make sure I read everything before I walked into a meeting because I didn't want to be found to not know something. I would always feel like I had to speak first so that people knew what I knew. Um, along the way, I had to certainly learn the difference between having something to say and having to say something. And so um, the older you get, I certainly learn like when I talk now, I have something to say, not simply have to take up space in the conversation just to remind you that I'm there. So some of the barriers came from society and some of them came from me. Okay, because see, now what you said is very interesting because I read the 48 Laws of Power and it speaks on pretty much being the smart smartest person in the room, but not boasting that you're the smartest person in the room. You know well, that? and if you're the smartest person in the room, you need to leave. Um, I, you know, I, I certainly, I never want to be the smartest person in the room. I, again, that goes back to the idea of iron sharpens iron. Always being in a space where you can learn something. My whole life has been about both learning and unlearning. And so I never have to be the smartest person in the room, but I need to know my craft well. And I think that's where people sometimes get caught up. We get caught up in the air, arrogance of wanting to be the smartest. No, I know what I know and so do you. And so I need to honor the fact that there's multiple intelligences when we enter a space and also making sure I hire people who are smarter than me in different ways. That's why we're such a strong team um, at the University of Florida. If you look at my executive team, I literally noticed have the shameless plugs. Huh? I was saying, <laughs> notice the shameless plugs. Hey, um, hey, listen, University of Florida is where I am right now, and I will always honor that while also respecting the roots that were afforded me by Kent State, Michigan State, and the Ohio State University. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was just saying, like, I do make sure that 
if I have opportunities to learn from someone else, I certainly take the opportunity to do that because I think there's a lot in life that we can learn. Um, and we, we don't have to know it all, but we certainly have opportunities to learn more than what we came in knowing. Okay. So are you doing anything right now? Uh, well, no, you, you're, you're actually working with students to get them uh, to make sure their experience is great, which I'm sure um, student life, the, the students that are in the programs, they going through it. I'm pretty sure that they are enjoying it because of your personality and your drive to do and to be represented, which brings me to my question of, I seen a study that said uh, blacks are 60, 67% underrepresented. Do you think that's true? If I look at my college campus, uh, we have nearly 60,000 students. Yes, black students are underrepresented. I would also say a lot of times students are underserved, meaning underserved puts the catalyst or the onus on us to do better. How are we making sure that we're getting into communities where black students live and make sure they know about college? We know that generationally, there are other cultures in this country who are ahead of us with regard to the educational opportunities that they've had due to structural issues such as racism and classism, all the things that really can set apart uh, folks' opportunities, we know that we're still battling against that. It doesn't matter that it's 2022, we're still working to be treated equitably and equally um, when and where that needs to be um, what, we're, what we're working toward. And so, yes, we are underrepresented and underserved, I would say, at schools such as my university. However, there are other universities where the education of black students has forever been the catalyst and the cause and the outcome of what they're we're striving for. So I think about all the HBCUs that have certainly produced students in droves and how our, our uh, society has functioned, particularly within black society. I think that we certainly have ways in which we have uh, been able to achieve education at very high rates, but some of our PWIs are predominantly white institutions. Yes, we are underserved and underrepresented. Okay, so would you say that a good portion of that is college debt? Right. So is there a way that being black that you could look for college for help or anything in that regard to deal with the college debt? Because a lot of people don't want to go to school, especially like some of the people I don't talk to. They're like, I don't want to go to school because I ain't trying to go in debt. You know, it's a and, you know, it's everybody heard it before. It's a system set up to fail. I mean, I have my personal views on, on uh, degrees and so forth and so on. But. Well, this is all it over. We're going to talk about it. So look, so you got college debt. A lot of people don't want to go to school because they're saying that colleges cost too much. Now, that is very true. And I and I kind of I kind of think that it is it could be swayed in a way that the more debt you in, the better your chances are to get a good uh decent job. But I seen that a statement someone said that said the people worked all their life to get a good paying job only to get a good paying job to work all their life. So I'm like, so like, so it's like when it comes to college debt, how does one weigh the, the good and the bad versus like, you know, if it's worth it or not, if you're not having, if you don't have a scholarship or none, you know, you're going to accrue a huge amount of debt. So do you get that job to have a good job and then have, work that work at that job your whole life or how do you how would one plan for such a a, a a task a life task like that that's a huge investment yeah 
It is. And, and so I want to first say there are multiple ways to be successful and college isn't the only way. Now, again, I, I endorse college, but I also know that we have many trades that go unfilled um, because we haven't properly induced people, introduced people to what that might look like. For instance, you think about being um, an electrician. You think about HVAC. There are so many ways in which the trades and technical skills do not get their due and they cost a lot less to pursue. So we have to also honor that and make sure that we're introducing uh, folks to multiple pathways. I will also say it's a value proposition. It's no different than buying a house or buying a car. What is the return on that investment? I definitely think it's worth getting a college degree as long as you can figure out before you end, before you graduate, what that looks like. For instance, if you're going to take out $10,000, $15,000 a year to help finance your college education, are you making a job that offers you at least that in salary when you graduate? So if you graduate with $40,000 in debt, do you at least have a $50,000 job that allows you to cover the loan payment and still be still thrive? And again, I'm just throwing out, you know, numbers that are arbitrary at this point, but making sure that what you put in, you can get something back out of it. Um, it's no different than me buying a house that depreciate. So making sure that when you're in college, you're getting the skills that allow you to use that degree when you graduate. Also, students should make sure they're using um, career tools before they graduate or before they enter college to figure out what will be the range of salary when they graduate. You can do that in any state. Find out what the average salary is, say, if you're a sociologist. You can find out what the salary is if you're going to be a math teacher. All that data exists in live documents for the state systems um, and across the nation. So before you decide on the major, you should always look at how much debt is going to cost you to pursue that degree and figure out if it's worth it on the back end. Will that degree mean that you'll need to get your master's degree for it to be uh, to use it more widely? Right. You, you might find out a lot of your social sciences. A lot of people, for instance, if you're a psychology major, typically you might want to go back for something such as to become a psychologist. Perhaps you want to go and become a clinical licensed clinical uh, professional counselor. You have different ways that you're going to do that. So ultimately, look at it as any other investment. It's an investment in your future. Um, it's the one thing that they cannot cannot be returned. It cannot be furloughed. It cannot be taken away. Your education is earned and not given. And so, if you're going to invest in it, make sure that when you when you certainly finish, that your return on investment is is present. Sweet. So, okay, okay, we had a good time here. We had a good time here mulling it over today. Uh, I guess. Is there anything you would say for anyone thriving or planning or uh, attempting to do anything in the realm of school and education, be it, like you said, uh, uh, um, college or be it trade? Like if you were if you were talking to a younger you, how would you tell yourself to pursue life? I would say always realize that success should be normalized and not stigmatized. I think sometimes we, we make those who uh, perhaps may have graduated from college, we put them almost in a space where, oh, they've done this great things. And while we should be celebrating that, we should also make sure we're normalizing it. Again, I, I've been very fortunate that for me, I'm proud of the fact that I've been given opportunities to go to college and I've, I've worked hard for those opportunities, but also want to make sure you hold the door. I hold the door open um, for the next generation. My nieces and nephews will tell you how serious I'm about them taking care of school. That's important. Regardless of what you decide you're going to do with it, whether you're going to go to work full time, whether you're going to go into a trade, whether you're going to go to college, work hard now so you can work a little bit easier later. And I think that that's really important um, to say and that make sure that you get around people that want to see you do better. I always have said my whole life. I've never followed anyone who wasn't going anywhere. 
Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay being a follower, but you got to be going somewhere. So for me, making sure that, again, I tried to stay in contact with the women, um, the young men, all those folks who I really was very excited to see them grow and to see myself grow and to recognize I could look at look for them as mirrors and see my potential as well. So always knowing that success, a lot of it, it is up to you to make it. Um, every day, find your broom, figure out how you're going to work, what you're going to work toward and work and make that your goal. But always make sure you have goals. You set them. You figure out how you strategically check in to make sure that you're meeting your progress. And again, like with the Waze app, if you're not going the right way, redirect. I changed my major in college. That's okay. If you're driving the wrong way down a one-way street, you do not keep driving. It's okay to turn and make a turn uh, to the left or right or simply figure out which a new direction is for you to get to the same path. I still became a college graduate. Um, I still have the ability to, to uh, provide for myself and do the things I've said I want to do since I was a kid. Um, I said when I was in elementary school that I wanted to see the world. I've been able to do those things because of what my education has afforded me. And again, I talk about it through my path of college, but also knowing that there are multiple ways to be successful and making sure you're honoring what you have in you as you work toward that goal. We want to thank Dr. D for coming on the show, modeling it over with us. Just stay focused. Stay grinding. Uh, sometimes the deck is stacked against you. If they tell you it's not, they're lying. But we definitely got to keep striving one foot at a time. It's not a race. It's a marathon. So just as long as you can continue to put one foot in front of the other, you can do all right. Once again, like I said, thank you, Dr. D, for coming on. And uh, we appreciate it. So anyway... Y'all know what it is. This is Mike Maul. This is the Maul It Over podcast. Look, we need your questions, comments, concerns. If you want me to get someone in particular, let me know. You can reach me at maulitoverpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's maulitoverpodcast at gmail.com. Give me your questions, comments, concerns. If I need to do something better, let me know. If I'm doing something great, let me know. I'll take the criticism. I'll take the love, I'll take the hate, but reach out to me, let me know what's going on. Anyway, that is our time. Peace.